A role dating back to the 1300s, jurats are a central part of the justice system in Jersey's royal court. Amongst other responsibilities, their key role is to decide on the facts of court cases, as well as determining criminal sentences and awarding damages in civil cases. Often seen sitting high on the bench in the royal court, it's easy to forget that these red-robed jurats are ordinary islanders, judges of fact rather than of law. Despite the huge responsibilities that come with it, being elected as a jurat doesn't come with a salary, so people who take on the role are often driven by a real desire to make a difference. In this episode of Bailiwick Podcasts, I, Christy Bailey, sit down with outgoing juror and Lieutenant Bailiff Colette Krill, who retired at the beginning of the year after 12 years of service. We discuss diversity on the Royal Court bench, the importance of having women in positions of power, some of her most memorable moments as a juror, and how she plans to spend her newfound free time. Yeah, so I guess before we start talking about your time as a juror, could you kind of tell us a bit about your background, your time growing up, just a bit about yourself? Yes, of course. Well, um, I went to JCG um, and then after JCG, after A-levels, I had a gap year and I went to La Sorbonne in Paris to study French. Wow. So I did that and had a really enjoyable time um, in Paris. That was great. And um, then after that, I uh, came back here for a while, did some work experience at the library, and then I went to library school. So I went to um, a college in West London, which is now a university. I studied library science. Wow. And then after that, I travelled, travelled across the States, American American states and um, after a while doing that I came back to the island and worked at the library. I worked as the reference librarian at public library and then I took over the branch library which was then at Kennebay. So I was the branch librarian there and during that time I got married and I stopped working when I had my first child. Uh, Olivia and then I was not working for a number of years until my third child was eight then I went back to work at the actually at the library part-time during the time I'd been not working out of the home been involved with Amnesty International for a Mm -hmm. long time and so I got more involved in that I went back to work at the library carried on with the um, human rights work and um that culminated in me being elected to the board of Amnesty International UK. Mm-hmm. And that was a very um, amazing time because I had to go to London once a month for board meetings. And it was really fascinating because I was at the centre of Amnesty's work during that time, really in the thick of it, and thoroughly enjoyed that. Also, I got involved in a local event, which was the Jersey Human Rights Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And I ran that with Daniel from the Arts Centre for about 10 years. And that was wonderfully rewarding and um, inspirational, really, because as well as the films, we used to bring speakers over to the island to talk about their particular um, aspect of human rights, international human rights. Mm -hmm. So I met a lot of amazing people. Also got involved in 
a very small local charity called Prisoners of Conscience Holiday Fund. And I've been lucky enough to carry on with that all the way through my Jurat wow. work. I had to stop the AIUK work and the local activism because didn't sit well with being a judge. Yeah. But I was able to carry on with the Prisoner of Conscience Holiday Fund, which is a, a wonderful charity which I could talk to you about for a long time. <laughs> and it's very tiny, but we bring former prisoners of conscience and torture survivors to the island wow. for holidays. So every year we have two or three individuals or couples or families and they come here for a weekend. They come from all over the world, but they're refugees living in the UK. And they are just so bowled over by coming to Jersey for a week and being befriended and hosted by our small band of supporters. They just can't believe the kindness that's shown to them you know, unconditionally. So that's fantastic, and um, I've been lucky enough to carry on doing that. And now that I'm retired as a jurat, I'm going to be able to concentrate even more on it, which I'm really looking forward to. So that was all going on, and then um, I was about 50. I was still at the library, and I was invited to join the Youth Court panel. Yeah. And that was a complete new departure for me. Mm -hmm. My husband is a lawyer, my sister studied law her husband is a lawyer my father studied law mm -hmm. in france there's a lot of law in our family but it was never had a, you a, not considered it no at all? not at all not at all <laughs> one of our children tom the youngest is a lawyer um as well so you know it really is there in the family but no i just it sounded interesting mm -hmm. and so i i did that i i joined the youth court panel which in those days um so i'm going back 20 22 years it was a lot busier the youth court was a lot busier now they have been able to divert a lot of the work to the parishes so a lot more yeah. is dealt with at parish level which is a really good thing um, but it means that the youth court itself is less busy now I think they only sit if you're on the, the panel you sit maybe once every six weeks half a day sometimes a day but in when I was doing it it was at least once a month for at least one or two full days so it was, yeah it was more onerous but not very onerous so I did that for 10 years really enjoyed it found it very interesting and enjoyed that feeling of making a difference and yeah um, being able to help young people to find their way so then, towards the end of my 10 years as a youth court panel member, uh, someone suggested that I might consider standing for the royal court bench, which was kind of a bolt from the blue. I <laughs> uh, hadn't ever considered that, but I took quite a long time to think about it, research what was involved. I didn't leap in um, without going into it very carefully, and um, I, I decided that, yes, I would go for it. I knew that it was a huge time commitment yeah. and that it would affect my family life and it was going to be, if I did it, a very huge undertaking. But in the end, I decided to go for it. And I was, uh, so I was elected in 2011 and in the end, I served 12 years. I've just retired and it was a fantastic experience. So that's kind of how I got into it. The human rights work yeah. originally having my own children and obviously the youth court panel although the work is so different it's a very good grounding for the royal court because work is so different it's such a totally different 
calibre and, and level, but you have the experience of terminology, of sittings, of working with a professional judge. So although it's very different work, it's extremely good grounding. And um, several, I think actually there's only two of us at the moment who have come through the youth court uh, route, if you like. But in the past, there have been quite a few over the years. It seems like it would be kind of a natural progression. Yes, I I think it is really useful to have done that, especially if you're from a totally different milieu, Mm. which most of our jurats are. We have a hugely diverse range of professions in our ranks so we've got gps head teachers accountants we always need accountants <laughs> because you know a lot of our civil work is totally based on financial matters yeah and so it does help to have at least one or two proficient financial so we've got trust company qualified people we've got someone who was very high up in hr we have got an ophthalmologist Um, And now I'm really delighted to say that we are equal numbers of men and women. When I was elected in 2011, I was only the eighth ever woman Mm. and I was one of three. In my swearing-in speech in 2011, I emphasised how much I hoped that we would achieve equal numbers as soon as possible. Yeah. And I mentioned how um, I hoped that would be the same. Uh, amongst the lawyers and that I think there are more women lawyers now wow since I I joined the bench which is great but the sad thing is just as as an aside that we have no crown officers who are women Mm -hmm. and there's only ever been one Stephanie Nicole who was solicitor general I think in the 80s but apart from her we have never had a female solicitor general attorney general or, of course, Deputy Bailiff or Bailiff. I, I hope that's going to happen soon, that one of all these many women lawyers might take that route, get yeah. started on that route, because, yeah, we need that. We definitely need that. Um, yeah, so we are now equal numbers. Does it make a noticeable difference? I think it does. Really? I, I definitely think it does. In what sort of sense? Um, we are different, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started, we were in the minority, as I said. And when men are in a majority, they often tend to dominate. Mm. And although those of us who were the the three who were then sitting were pretty strong characters, we now have, they now have six strong women characters. And I think it just levels everything up. Yeah. Um, And socially as well, it's much better to have an equal mix, um, you know, because that's what life is like. And it was dominated by by men for far too long. So I'm I'm very pleased about that. The first lady jurat, just if you're interested, was Dr. Barbara Mile. She was a GP and she stood for election to the bench in the 70s, late 70s. It took her three attempts to get in and that wasn't because of the calibre of the candidate. She mm-hmm. was an outstanding candidate. So it took her three goes. She was an outstanding jurat. She went on to become lieutenant bailiff. Wow. And she was an outstanding lieutenant bailiff. When she got in, finally, it was in 1980. So she was the first woman. I often think about her and um, what a trailblazer she was. Yeah. Do you think people react differently to seeing women in kind of those positions of power than they do to men? That is a hard question. Um, I don't know. It would be probably better for you to answer that because when you're up there... 
on the bench. Um, it's it's hard to gauge, but I think that for the public, definitely it's a good thing to see women there. Yeah. It must be. I think that in criminal matters, the defendants probably aren't even really aware of whether we're male or female. Yeah. I sort of get the feeling that we're just a sort of row of red robes to <laughs> them. But in civil matters, uh, which is an awful lot of these days, I think it's really important. Yeah, and I think that... Again, because so many of the lawyers are female, I, I imagine uh, that they must enjoy seeing women on the bench and feel that connection. So, yes, I think everybody benefits. Can you kind of explain, if someone's listening and they don't really know what a juror is or mm. what it does, can you kind of explain yeah, of what course, you do and of what it's like? It's not a full-time job, but when I started, I was told by the then Lieutenant Bailiff, John Devell, to think of it as two-thirds of full-time. He's a very skilled accountant, and he had worked it out using the hours worked and, uh, you know, made graphs and charts and things. And he said, think of it as two-thirds of full-time. And he was absolutely right. I would say that was spot on. Mm. So it's not full-time, but it's it's a lot of time. Sitting in court is only a part of it. Obviously, we sit in the Royal Court on civil and criminal matters. So we do the whole gamut from civil to criminal. Everything you can think of that appears in the Royal Court, almost, we sit on. There are some things, a few things that are presided over by a single judge, but that's in the minority. Usually it's a professional judge, either the bailiff, the deputy bailiff, or a commissioner, sitting with two of us, and that's called the inferior number of jurats, so there'll be two of us. For big sentencings and the most important matters, the superior number will be called, and that's at least five of us. Uh, so at least five of us will set, sit with the professional judge. For really serious matters, such as murder kind of thing, rape, <coughs> sentencing, there will occasionally be nine of us, or possibly even ten. And so civil and criminal matters, so that's worked out on a rota. The bailiff's judicial secretary is in charge of the rota. So in theory, we each work a full duty week once every six weeks. And then the week after your duty week, you are number one reserve. So you might not be full time in that second week, might be nearly full time. The next week, you're number two reserve. So you might only sit two or three times. The last week of, of that four, you shouldn't really be on at all, but you might be. Mm -hmm. But more to the point, towards the end of that week, you get your reading for the following week, which will be your duty week again. So almost every week there's something. Yeah. Also, there are long cases. So there'll be a case that may be set down for a week, two weeks, or even more. Many of those every year. The rotors for those long cases are set out six months in advance. So you'll get a list in January and June of which long cases you're on. And it might be two or three or even four mm -hmm. during that six-month period. So those are extra to your duty weeks. And also, superior number sentencings are extra to your duty weeks. You get called in for those. So it's not just the duty week that that is your, your expectation. Additionally, we sit on the licensing assembly, uh, make decisions for that. We are involved, some of us, on the probation board. I'm the chair of the probation board. I've been doing that for four years. I've been on the board since I first started. So those are very regular meetings and ongoing work involved with governing the probation board. 
I've thoroughly enjoyed that. It's been a highlight of my time. So we've got a superb uh, probation Mm. service. It's admired internationally, and we're very, very fortunate here in Jersey. Um, I don't know if you know, but the the UK probation system is not working well at all, whereas ours is really, really good, so we're very fortunate. We used to be on the prison board as well, Mm -hmm. but that changed maybe five years ago. Jurats came off and uh, members of the public came on. So we don't have that to do, but we have a lot of ceremonial duties. We are involved on Liberation Day. We're involved on Remembrance Sunday. We also have a very enjoyable task of the Visite Royale, of which there are two every summer. That's when the court goes out to the parish and inspects the parish accounts for the preceding years. And then is the court is taken around the parish to adjudicate on various matters that may have come up during the time since the last visit. And then we go for lunch. And that is, I would say, the only light-hearted mm. um, duty that we perform. Um, apart from that, everything is obviously, um, I won't say serious, but I mean serious, but not sombre. There are 12 of us and we have a close bond, I would say. Yeah. And um, we work very well together. We, we have to work as a team. And there's lots of give and take. When we deliberate to make our decisions, we retire from court and sit and deliberate, chaired by the judge, whoever's sitting, presiding that day. We have quite lengthy discussion and everyone has their own individual view. And obviously we have to reach a consensus, mm-hmm. which we always do, nearly always. And there's, so there's quite a, I won't say heated, but um, quite a strong exchange of views often. So we all have to be prepared to listen to each other and not to think our view is the most important. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important part of the work. So working as a team player is extremely important to, to being a jurat. I think that's quite a good overview of what's involved. Another thing that John Devell said to me when I started was, the royal court always comes first. And that's something anyone considering standing for the bench must take very seriously. The royal court always comes first. It's, it's more important. Mm-hmm. than anything else that you might be doing and so it's rare for us to be called in unexpectedly but uh, if we are then we are expected to to jump to it one thing i've missed out is warrant duties the week that you have your your full-time duty week every six weeks i think it is you are also on warrant duty so that means that you have to be available for the police or the customs mm-hmm who may need one of a number of different types of warrant. So on your duty, it's only at the weekend, because during the week it's dealt with by the Crown officers. But at the weekend, so from Friday night till Monday morning, you have to be on hand for a phone call. Um, and that'll either be for the police or customs to, to come to your house in order to procure a committal paper. They need to take someone out to La Moy and we have to sanction that so we need to know why and what's going on. So those are the committals but separate are the warrants so they may need to search somebody's house, they may have had a tip off about a drugs haul or something similar so they actually need a warrant and that's a very elaborate procedure because obviously it's a judicial procedure so basically that weekend you have to be on call Mm -hmm. and ready 
to have the, the police or customs come to your door within a matter of minutes sometimes. But it, it's not it's not every duty week. It's um, I think it's about every sixth, maybe a bit less. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too. But yeah, it's it's a great responsibility. So it sounds like kind of the time considerations is really important. And Absolutely. Did you have any kind of hesitations about taking on the level of responsibility when you were um, about it? I did. Um, as I said in my retirement speech last week, I had to do a lot of soul searching to decide whether I considered I had the temperament and the fortitude to make decisions, to weigh the evidence and to make decisions which would affect people's lives. You have to have a certain amount of confidence in yourself in order to take that on. And I think in my case, the youth court panel work was really valuable for that. Yeah. Because I'd had that experience of making similar, although very different, decisions. So yes, one has to have a certain amount of self-confidence, but also compassion is is vital. You have to have compassion. And I knew I had that because of my human rights work. Yeah. So that was okay. I didn't have to worry about that. It was more whether I would have the strength for more difficult decisions that maybe, how can I put it? Um, obviously, if you think of the Supreme Court, we're told that there are hawks and there are doves on that court. And there is an element of that mm. in our court as well. And so you learn pretty quickly whether you are one or the other or in between. That's the beauty of having a diverse mixture of, of lay people who come from very different backgrounds and have very different attitudes and It is important, I think, that they all have compassion and, as I say, the ability to to weigh the evidence carefully and come to what they feel is the right decision. Is there anything that surprised you about yourself or kind of decisions that you've made that you wouldn't have thought of before? Um, That's an interesting question. Yes, I think that there have been many times where I have felt that prison, this is talking about sentencing, obviously, Prison is the right outcome, not just for the accepted reasons of punishment and rehabilitation, but linked to rehabilitation because it was not only going to be the best decision for the public, for their protection, but it was almost certainly going to be the best decision for the defendant. Mm -hmm. And I've been very surprised and pleased to to learn how often people who've been to prison are actually grateful because they've taken the route they've taken very, very often because of their life experiences. Mm-hmm. They've made ill-judged decisions, very often not of their own making. And I think being in the prison as it is now, where there's so much on offer in the way of activities and work and therapy and counselling, it very often gives them a new start. And and obviously they'll come out clean as well if they are addicted either to alcohol or drugs. So yes, very often it gives them a new start. And um, I remember a story told by Sir Michael Burt, previous bailiff, two or, th- two or three bailiffs ago, when I started, he swore me in, and uh, he was the bailiff then, and he told me how he'd been down at the marina one day coming off his boat. A chap came along and said, oh, aren't you that judge? And he said, yes. And the chap said, oh, you dealt with me, you dealt with my case. And Sir Michael was kind of just getting prepared to make a quick exit, stage left. Um <laughs> possible 
baseball bat appearing from behind the chap's back. <laughs> and he said, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It turned my life around. Thank you so much. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that, that does happen. So, yeah, I myself have been surprised by that, that very often it's the best thing for the person who's going to be incarcerated, although they may not think so at the time. Yeah. But I'm also so pleased at, I talked a bit about our probation service, and of course that encompasses the community service scheme, which is so well run here, and it's so beneficial. It's a direct alternative to prison, so um, we have that option, only if the sentence will be as low as three years. Yeah. Nothing over that can qualify for community service, but if the expected sentence is under three years, preferably under two years, we can award community service instead and it's it's a wonderful alternative it's hard hard work it's every Saturday for a long period of time that the uh, defendant will have to work very hard and under strict conditions but again it's often a very good thing for that person they may have been out of work for ages and it gives them a good reintroduction to to working life and it is a punishment because they lose that time they're not losing their freedom but they're losing time every saturday and it's it's a it's an excellent alternative and i'm i'm so pleased that it's available have there been any particularly difficult decisions or memorable cases <clears throat> that will always kind of stand out Oh, gosh. One um, I have very much in my mind, because I know I'll never forget it, involved a young couple, both very vulnerable. Well, the wife had serious emotional issues, mental health issues from when she was born. And the husband had been perfectly fine until he fell at work and hit his head and it damaged him irreparably. And he also had a physical handicap from that. But they got together and they got married, they were very, very happy, and they had a baby. And they came before us in the royal court because the social services were worried about the baby. Mm-hmm. And we had to watch videos of them caring for their child under controlled conditions. They'd already been sent to a unit in the UK to try and help them to cope properly with the baby. We had to watch videos from that period when they were in the unit in the UK. And it was extremely heart-wrenching because they loved their baby deeply but they weren't able to look after the child properly because of their disabilities yeah and they gave evidence before us both of them spoke to us to to say how they felt and both of them were so moving because their love for the child was just blatantly obvious but having watched the videos of mistakes they made and heard all the evidence which was extensive social services from the unit in the UK from their lawyers from the Guardian Guardian is a very important part of child matters um, Guardian will be appointed by the court so they're impartial and very important to our decisions we always listen very very carefully to what the Guardian has to say and it was obvious to us that they couldn't the couple much as they loved the child, they were not able to care for him. So we had to make the decision to take him away. That is one of the hardest decisions we're faced with. We're faced with it quite often, Mm. 
But taking a child from their parents is probably the most draconian decision we have to make. It's always hard, but this one was particularly hard. Yeah. And at the end of it, we retired, obviously, talked for a long, long time about it all and came to the decision. We two jurats, because it's the jurats who make the decisions. And that's something I missed out when I was talking before. Yeah. The judge is there to advise us on the law and to tell us what we can and can't do, to remind us what we can and can't do, and to chair the discussion, whether it's between two of us in inferior number or whether it's between five or more of us in superior number. So the judge is, is there as the judge of law, but we are the judge of the fact, so we make those decisions. So we made our decision and we came back, but the presiding judge was Sir William Ballash, the previous bailiff, and a couple were sitting at the back of the court and he said, I think I'll go and tell them our decision directly, what do you think? Normally we just announce our decision to the whole court. Mm -hmm. So we came back in and Sir William strode to the back of the court and he went right up to this couple and he explained to them what we'd had to decide. But he said to them, you have fought like tigers for your little boy. But, and then he explained, uh, yeah, it was just extremely moving. And I thought that it was very compassionate of him yeah. to, to do it that way. I've never seen that happen before. So that was one that, that does stand out for me. There have been a lot of multi-million pound financial cases, mm. which so often, although they appear to be coming from big corporate companies and businesses, in the end, it's usually about people fighting over money. And I have been very surprised at the number of pure family cases around money that, mm. that, we, that come before us. So um, there's, there is one that sticks in my mind. I won't say too much about the detail, but a big family, very, very wealthy. And they have spent the last 20 years fighting about the money for the charities they run. Mm -hmm. So they all have charitable outlets for their wealth, but they've actually spent 20 years fighting over who's going to have more of the pie for their charity and, and for themselves as well. And yeah, I have found those quite, not hard, but it's hard not to feel cynical about them, shall we say. <laughs> uh, just to, to mention about a joyful part of our work, which is when we are, when we have to register adoption. So we'll have couples coming before us who decided to adopt a child and the final part of that is coming before the court and the child usually comes as well and we have a little chat with them and it's very very happy occasion. And of course, you know, now we have diversity of single sex couples as well. And yeah, that's that's a really happy part yeah. of our work. One, one of the few really happy parts. Um, I've been Lieutenant Bailiff for four years and that's been quite a big responsibility because you, you lead your fellow jurats. So obviously you have to chair meetings between between the jurats and have to have meetings with, with the bailiff about decisions that are going to be made about a number of different kinds of matters. So it's, it's a great honour to be appointed lieutenant bailiff, but it's also a big responsibility. And so I'm quite glad to be leaving that responsibility <laughs> behind. The responsibility of being a jurat for 12 years and taking monumental decisions in many cases affecting people's lives forever and not just their lives but their families and their friends and the four years as lieutenant bailiff has been especially big responsibility so yes it's uh, 
It's nice that my responsibilities will, will change from being those of a grandparent. I, I've got six grandchildren now. I had none when I started. And um, they're scattered. One son is here with his three children. Our daughter is in France with her child and husband. Uh, she lives in the Alps. And our other son lives in London. He's the one who's a lawyer. He's got two little ones. So, yeah, we've got six all together. And, you know, there have been many times when I've had to say, I'm sorry, I, I can't help out this week, this month, today. I just can't do it. Um, work, the Royal Court has to come first. So I think they'll be calling on me quite a lot. Yeah. Are you looking forward to that? <laughs> Very though? much, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've already started and I was able to do a, you know, a certain amount, but um, my husband, who retired from his law firm the year before I became a jurat, has had to make a lot of, I won't say sacrifices, but it's going to be great to you know, be able to spend so much more time with him and to not have the, the weight of responsibility of Durat work hanging over us both, to be fair. Yeah. Um, he has had to take a back seat, fully accepted that, fully encouraged and supported me to stand. I wouldn't have done it if he hadn't. And he was, yeah, so encouraging. Uh, mind you, that meant he had more time for his own activities. So <laughs> whilst I was working, he was able to do various things that we wouldn't have done together. He's a very keen motorbiker, was a marathon runner, he's a mountain biker and um, skier and all those things. So he could go off and have little trips when I was working. So, you yeah. know. In some ways, it was two-way, but it's going to be great to, to be able to have loads of time together and with our children and grandchildren, and to travel at will, because that's something that is restricted. You have to plan your travel very, very carefully if you're a jurat, because obviously you have to give your dates in a long time in advance when you may want to go away and you don't have spontaneous travel that just doesn't happen so being able to do that nip over to see the family in london and or france whenever i want or just take impromptu trips with my husband that's that's going to be a real treat oh that'd be really nice <laughs> i think that's kind of everything thank okay. you thank you so much for talking to me that was really insightful mm.